The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, uh, kind of touching to just sit together and see so many faces here tonight. So I I thought this evening I would, um, I'll share a little bit, just a few short reflections, but mostly um, I wanted to create some time and space to just uh, answer questions about your practice. I think there's a a great need often for having some uh, discussion and guidance about what's actually happening in our life or in our practice. And so I wanted to leave ample time for that kind of uh, that kind of dialogue, uh, which is which is often uh, quite rich because it's really speaking to whatever is actually needed for where where you're coming from, whoever's willing or interested to uh, to engage and share. But I, I thought I'd start by just sharing a few a few brief reflections, uh, and perhaps first just beginning with this sense that we're not here alone. Uh, in in really an existential sense, and that's that's quite obvious, uh, but it's easy to forget. <laughs> uh, and in particular, I think it's easy to forget when we have um, a practice uh, or a path at the heart of which is a practice epitomized by this kind of a um, uh, image of um, person sitting in meditation uh, with uh, the focus being at least partly inward. And so it can, it can be very easy to, um, with the, the focus on inner quiet in meditation, uh, to forget that actually the, the one of the purposes, one of the main purposes of the whole path is how we are with one another and how we are with our life and the world around us. And that um, meditation practice and the Eightfold Path are trainings to help us to learn how to live in a way that doesn't bring more harm or pain or suffering to the other beings that we share this planet with. And so whether that means remembering to turn off our cell phone when we come in to meditate or not, you know, blocking the neighbor's driveway or putting on our uh, scent of choice when we we come to a place like this, um, those kinds of small details, or whether it means, you know, remembering, remembering to see the people in your life who you see every day with fresh eyes, whether it's your husband or wife or partner, your housemate, your parent, your child. You know, how quickly we take for granted the people in our life, how we see them uh, not really for who they are, but as an image in our own mind, as a memory. Oh, that's so-and-so, you're so-and-so, you are my so-and-so. No, they're not. They're not your anything. Right? They're they're their own individual person, their own mystery. 
with their own feelings and their own needs and their own dreams and their own desires that you or I have the great good fortune and blessing to have contact with and how easily we forget that. Or whether it's just the simple things of being able to to see uh, another human being as someone whose uh, life matters to them in the same way that our life matters to us. You know, so that the person on the freeway who <laughs> we wish were driving differently or slower or faster or, you know, to remember, to not forget, you know, this is a, this is a being too, this is a person too, or the non-human beings that we share the planet with. You know, and as, as we see the, the uh, changes happening on, on our planet and in our country and in our communities on so many levels today, whether it's environmentally or politically or economically, um, the tendency of the untrained heart and mind is to contract and to go into fear and aggression whenever there's a threat or a disturbance or instability and to see what does it take, right? What does it take to actually stay connected to our shared humanity? Or our shared, the shared vulnerability of sentient life to go beyond the human realm. What does it take? I think, I think meditation offers us a tool, a very profound and powerful tool to learn what it takes to remember and to stay connected. It gives us an arena within which to feel and experience our own humanity, our own vulnerability, the frustration, the fear, the confusion, the impotence, all of the things that we don't like in meditation. You think that's not supposed to be here? That's, that's making us more tender. That's actually what connects us when we let it in when we let ourselves really feel the struggle or the hurt, not, not to get lost in it, it's not that we sink in it, but to, 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 to have that, that posture of this, this balance, this groundedness, and the openness. It's one of the things that's so beautiful about just the iconography of a, of a, Buddhist, of a Buddha statue, regardless of, of one's beliefs or you know, ideology around the religion or the tradition but just artistically the representation of a human form with, with this sense of serenity, readiness, and openness. Right? The chest, the shoulders are very vulnerable and open, yet dignified and strong. So when we can receive and feel our own vulnerable, tender places with that strength, it starts to connect us to one another. It's, 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 our, it's our 
our frailty and our suffering and our vulnerability that actually opens our heart. So this is, this is one aspect of the training of meditation, of what it provides, is this space, this arena to deeply experience the vulnerability of being alive and to let that open our hearts. Another aspect is it gives us a very powerful taste of the ability to sustain that awareness. Meditation practice and this path, the Eightfold Path, it's not like going to see a movie. It's not, you just, you flip on the meditation channel for 30 minutes and then you turn it off and you go on to the next thing. It's not. I mean, you can do that and it's, it's not going to hurt you but, you. but if that's what we're doing, we're missing out on the jewel. We're missing out on the, on the gem. I've, um, I've done some training in... Um, It's called internal martial arts. It sounds a lot fancier than what I actually know how to do. (laughs) It's um, qigong, things like this, where you're you're doing this sort of inner inner work with energy in the body. But I I don't I don't do tai chi. I've never learned how to do tai chi. I want to. I just circumstances haven't arisen for me to find the right class and the time. um, But I've done a lot of qigong. I was talking to my qigong teacher who also teaches Tai Chi one day about, you know, learning some Tai Chi. And he said, you know, uh, he said, the point of doing Qigong is so that you can do Tai Chi. He said, you're doing all the work in Qigong to get your body open and to get the energy flowing. He said, once you do that, doing Tai Chi is like riding a bike down a hill. So you're doing the work of meditation but if you're not actually carrying it forward into your life, it's you're, you're you're, you're missing the, the part where you get to actually flow with it. You get to actually ride it. So meditation practice itself, the formal practice, is a training. It's an, it's an intensive training for the mind and the heart to learn what? To learn how to feel, how to be aware, and how to sustain that. That's why we keep coming back again and again, is we're training ourselves to recognize what does it feel like to really be here and then to keep being here. Moment to moment to moment. We each, we each uh, have this opportunity in being alive to learn how to be awake more and more. So how do we sustain an awareness? That's, what, that's one of the aspects of our training in meditation. How do we sustain a the connection 
with feeling the body sitting, with feeling a breath, with the, uh, the intention of loving kindness and the phrases, if you're doing loving kindness practice, how do, how do we strengthen our mind's ability to be present, not just for a moment, but for moment after moment after moment. And we string them together, little by little, like, uh, like drips of water coming out of a faucet, one drop at a time, one drop at a time, one drop at a time, until eventually it becomes a continuous stream of awareness. And that's what we work towards in our life, is this continuous, more and more stream of awareness. Or like strings, we get strings of awareness, and we forget, then we get another string of awareness. And we remember. We remember the preciousness, the vulnerability, the integrity, the care, that sense that I don't want to hurt. I don't want to cause harm. I want to help. I want to be part of this incredible cycle of giving and receiving that is life. We take in nourishment and we give it out. We breathe and we breathe with other beings. And that everything is like this. Everything is this cycle of, of being nourished and nourishing. So can we, can we stay attuned and awake enough to participate in that? And that's the real joy. That's where the real joy is. We're, we, we need to let ourselves receive, just to even receive the support of the ground like we started the meditation with. Just feeling the body being held up by the earth to receive that, to receive the air, to receive water, to receive food, to receive the gaze of a friend, to receive the sunshine on a new day, to let ourselves be nourished by life. And then what? What do we do? Why do we do anything? To give, to give back, to say thank you. Thank you for this gift. And, and to sustain that awareness, to sustain that sense of connection with life. And the, the, one, of the, one of the tricks here is that the, the ability to sustain it doesn't come from thinking. It's not about thinking. It's a felt sense. It's something we taste and then we remember it in our body. The same way you know and remember how to ride a bike. You don't have to think about it. You just know how to do that or how to swim. We, we, get, we, we sit on the cushion or we stand or we walk and we learn the feeling, the taste of being awake and present and balanced. We take that into our body. We take that into our cells and then we feel it out as we, as we move through our life. So I'll stop there in, in this format of just me sort of sharing reflections. And I hope some of that's been useful for you. And uh, I, wanna, I wanna open it up now. 
to uh, questions that you might have about your meditation practice or your practice with the Eightfold Path and integrating these teachings into your life. Uh, so with the, the hope that uh, some of my own uh, training and study and experience um, might be useful to you, might have something useful I could offer. So do we have one or two? Yeah, Mike, so if you, if you have a question you'd like to uh, ask, you just hold up your hand and we can send over a microphone. Yeah, please. And if you just want to say your name first so we can... My name is Angie, and thank you for your presentation this evening. I, my question is for you, what, your, what is the somatic practice that was described in the discussion oh, of you, and how sure. does that integrate with meditation? Yeah, thank you, Angie. Um, yeah, so Jim read in my bio that I teach and practice somatics. There are a few different streams um, of that. And the connection for me, I'll say what they are, but the connection for me is that, you know, meditation happens in our nervous system. It's an embodied practice. It's not a mental practice. It involves the mind, but it's, it's an embodied experience. And so for me, part of my own um, exploration of this path and these teachings has included exploring other areas of feeling and waking up in my body. Um, our culture in general is not a very embodied culture. And so, you know, the first time I did yoga when I was 19, I was in tremendous pain and really frustrated and, you know, couldn't feel hardly anything. So just many years of learning to actually feel my body, which is a very important part of being able to meditate. Um, so there, there are three main practices that I've done that fall under the realm of somatics. Soma just means body. It's just a fancy way of saying embodied stuff. Um, one is somatic experiencing, which is a form of trauma healing that's uh, based in uh, the human nervous system and nervous system regulation. Um, Qigong, which I mentioned. And then another form of um, body awareness called Hana somatics, which comes out of Feldenkrais work. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that's enough. So how's your practice? What's happening? You all meditate. You just did it for 45 minutes. That's no small accomplishment to sit quietly, sit still for that long. A lot of people can't do that. Yeah, please. Uh, I'm Jamie. Um, I tend to be very scattered and easily distracted when I meditate, when uh -huh. I... Uh, hear about or read about people developing concentration, I hardly even know how to go about that. Do you have any recommendations for developing concentration and meditation? Sure. Thank you, Janie. It's a great question. <clears throat> yeah, so um, I guess one question first for you would be, um, are there times in your life other activities or things that you do where you experience a sense of uh, sustained presence? Yes, I would say so. When I'm 
walking in nature. Great. That kind of thing. Okay. So the first step is notice what that feels like. Next time you're out walking in nature, really appreciate and let yourself take in what it feels like to be naturally connected to what you're doing in a sustained fashion. Because we, we all have experiences like that. The word concentration is a terrible translation of the word samadhi, which means something much, much more like collectedness, a mind that's gathered, collected, and stable, which is a natural function of our mind. It can be enhanced and developed to great levels, but it's something that all of us have the capacity for. So that, that's the first thing I would say is, is find the, the place or places in your life where you naturally drop into some level of samadhi. The mind's present, it's stable, and it, and it, and it continues in that, right? So that, you, so that you, one, begin to taste it and recognize it, and two, can start to uh, dispel the, the view, I can't concentrate. Or I'm, I, you know, like that is separate from me and I have to somehow get there because that's an obstacle, just that very idea because that's going to set up a certain orientation towards the practice of not good enough, have to work hard, when am I, you know, I going to get there, all that kind of stuff, right? So notice what, it, notice what it feels like. Take that in. Notice the process when you first start walking, of how the mind settles into that place. It's probably not that you get out of your car and right away, bam, you're in a state of flow. No, there's some process of, you know, like there's junk going on and it it comes and it goes and it's just noise and you kind of slowly let it filter out and you get into your body more and you feel the rhythm of your walking and you start to notice the sounds and the air, right? There's kind of a settling in process. So notice what, in, I'm guessing that you're sort of even remembering this, right? Because you've done it so many times as we're talking. So your mind knows how to do that. And it's not that you get to the trail and you're like, okay, I'm going to really relax and enjoy this, right? That would be counterproductive. It's the same in meditation. So it's a process of allowing the mind to relax and settle, right? But what does that take? It takes a certain, I think it takes two or three things. One, it takes a certain continuous activity. You're walking. There's a rhythm to that. There's a continuity to what the body's doing. That's one thing it takes. It takes a certain intentionality. You actually, you actually have to want to enjoy your hike. If, if, you're, if you're out there walking and you're just wanting to think about stuff, which is fine, then that's what's going to happen. So there's a certain intentionality. And then there's a tasting of it. Every time you drop into a little bit more of that sense of presence and flow with the walking... Something inside of you goes, ah, that's nice. And then wants more of it, naturally, because it's nourishing. 
So it's the same in our meditation. We, want, we, we need some kind of a... Um, like a pole star to keep coming back to. And that's the object of our concentration practice, whether it's the breath, loving kindness phrase, scanning the attention through the body, like the Goenka meditation, okay? That's the equivalent of the walking on the trail, or if it's walking meditation you're doing, right? So we need something that the mind keeps coming back to then we need a certain, a certain intentionality, some sense of like, okay, you know, for this period of time, that's, that's all I really want to do. Let's just be with the breathing. Let's just feel that. Anything else that comes up, as soon as I notice it, just later, just come back to this simplicity. And there needs to be some enjoyment of it. If the breath isn't enjoyable for you, it's not going to be a very suitable concentration object. You need to find something that's enjoyable, at least a little bit. So there's the sense of the mind wanting to settle in and stay with it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the question. Sure. So maybe this gentleman, and then we'll come over here, since the mic's over there. Okay. Yeah, please. Um, getting in touch with other people's suffering without, with equanimity rather than indifference. Mm. And I guess a concrete example is like news items and things of like that where there's a lot of suffering and kind of an idea of powerlessness because maybe it's around the world or far away or... Yeah. And just... Indifference versus equanimity and getting in touch with suffering. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. What was your name again? Uh, I'm Kalen. Kalen. Thank you, Kalen. So I'm just kind of taking in your question. Yeah. <clears throat> I think it's, a, it's a, a key question and a core practice for all of us today. Because there is uh, so much, not only so much suffering, but so much access to the information about it. And I think it's important to differentiate between indifference and, and overwhelm and shutting down. And I, what I'm guessing just from how I'm hearing the question and just kind of feeling you a little bit across the room, just uh, how you're coming across to me is that it's more the sense of too much and then shutting down rather than indifference that you're experiencing. Indifference is a, is a shutting down because with, with some, almost a sense of intentionality, there's some sense of like, I don't care in the mind. Conscious or unconscious, I don't care. Which is different from I care so much that I can't hold this, I can't handle this. Um, and I think, that, I think that in a very real way, uh, it is more than we can hold. And there's something important about actually recognizing that for ourselves and collectively. 
because then that starts to inform how we relate to it rather than having an expectation of ourselves. You know, it's, it's, a, it's only a fully enlightened being, I think, that can, that can hold the enormity of suffering on the planet with equanimity, a mind that has no um, restrictions or boundaries, no fear, no, no pulling back. And so that's, that's what we're, you know, training towards. So, so I think that the um, equanimity grows at, at the edge of our capacity. And that's very important to, to understand intellectually that once we, go, once we go too far past our capacity for discomfort, be it physical, emotional, or mental, we actually we stop learning. Because once we're too far beyond our, that, that edge of our capacity, then it's just uh, the, the um, conditioning of, you could say greed and aversion, you could say pleasure plane principle, it's just the conditioning that's running. When we're not at our capacity, when we're too far in our comfort zone, we're not actually learning. So the learning happens at that edge. One, one colleague of mine calls it strategic discomfort. And there's a certain zone there. So we each want to get familiar with what it feels like to be in that zone. To feel like, to, f- to feel whatever we're feeling, and it, but it's not too much. And that's a sensibility that you develop to, to actually, yeah, to sense where that edge is and to start to recognize it's okay to pull back from that, that sometimes we actually need to and that's part of training ourselves to expand our capacity. It's like if you're exercising a muscle, to use a crude example, right? You know, you, you know you have to actually push to a certain level. You actually have to allow, like work it enough. But if you work it too much, you injure it. And then it doesn't actually strengthen. So it's the same with the heart. We want to open it to the point where we're feeling, but not so far that, that we become overwhelmed. So I think with the news, it's really important to take it in in manageable doses. You know, With the intention, it's not that we're hiding or I can't look at this, I don't want to, but with that intention of I'm wanting to know, I'm wanting to feel, I'm, I'm willing to know, I'm willing to feel. So let me learn how to do this. Is that helpful? Yes, thank you. Yeah, Yeah. thank you. So there's a question over here and maybe there's a microphone for you. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah, you might need to speak up a little bit. But I cannot hear me. Yes. Okay, my name is Beatrice and my question, no question, was just a kind of a statement. It's kind of bound to his. It's uh, something about behaving at work and 
living in meditation, in inside meditation, among work, inside work, uh, seeing that every person relate to you in a different way, mm-hmm. and how do I behave inside myself with these people around me? Mm. And it's like a, I, um, it's hard to say, but um, it's changing. So can I try to just tease out what I'm hearing you say, Beatrice? Yes. I'm hearing you say that at work there are a lot of different people who maybe each of them treats you differently or relates to you differently. And how do you find the balance inside yourself in relating to all of those people? Is that what it's you're getting some at? sort of thing. Maybe it's Hold the mic a little closer. Oh, uh, maybe something like that. Maybe now I'm awakening and learning that Meditation is not to sit down and, and right. meditate and do nothing. Right. It's meditation to live meditation yes. each second of your life. Yes. When somebody hurts you from outside, right. you pull back and breathe and see yes. what is hurting. Yes, right. Is hurting now or gotcha. it's hurting from the past? Right, great. Okay. It's something that I over... Uh, there's a uh, yeah. self-loading. I'm yeah. carrying self-loading and then I feel poor me or is it really something that's happening that, oh, I don't need to be poor me anymore? Yes, great. Exactly. It's something like this. Yes, yes exactly. We, we, we use the awareness to stay connected to what's happening and to understand how it's being created inside, what's, what's from the present, what's from the past, and how do we respond effectively. And then some sort of a kind of... A, when, you f- when you catch yourself reacting inside yourself with anger or something... Well, I learned this from childhood from right. growing up in my family or from my culture or something. You know, do I need to do this again right. and again and again? Or can I do this in a different way? Right. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Sounds like you're practicing well. Is that well. possible? <laughs> it's possible, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. The stronger your awareness gets and the more equanimity you have, the more you'll be equanimity. able to <laughs> respond from the present and not from the past. And, and then this thing of S- politics and other... I feel over world with this yeah. and I cannot even mention it to talk about those things yeah. and this hurt me yeah. you know I cannot even express myself in terms of I do, uh, I'm on this side or that side right. it's so much information yeah. the information I don't believe the information getting to us yeah. because I don't believe on the media the media have professionals so they are right they can write <laughs> against the Pope and for the Pope you know, they can't uh, write about so, Zen Buddhism, oh, it's great, Zen Buddhism, not good. So just to bring it back to the practice again, yeah. is just that sense of, of strengthening your own awareness, recognizing when you're losing balance, right? Just like and, now. Yeah, and coming, and coming back to your intention. So, yeah. so we're, we're coming up towards the end of our time. Um, I see there's one more question, and I wanted to just uh, say a few things at the end. So why don't, why don't we hear... Do you have a, a question here? Just this woman, right? Hold your hand up so she can see you. There you go. Hi. My name's Lena. I was wondering if you could just give some pointers about the body and sitting, because... Sure. I'm getting... I notice I'm, when I sit for the 45 minutes, yeah. especially, it, I'm very preoccupied with pain just how hard it is to have my knees bent that uh-huh. I actually yeah, yeah. sit on the stool yeah, yeah. or my back straight and yeah, yeah. 
and I look at you and I th- and other teachers yeah. and I think, how are they how doing How long have it? you been meditating? How many years? No, not years, just okay. this year. Great. Yeah. So that's part of it. It's, it's, it is uncomfortable at first. I mean, for some people, it's uncomfortable all the time. Um, uh, I'm, I'm fortunate that I don't generally experience a lot of discomfort for, for a period this short of sitting. Um, but it wasn't like that at the beginning. It took a long time for me to develop uh, the right posture for the muscles uh-huh. to develop differently and to learn, to learn the subtlety of how to sit, hold the body upright in a relaxed way. It's not something that we get right away. Um, right. So I'll offer a few pointers okay. and then um, uh, we could chat some more afterwards. Um, you want to have your knees lower than your hips. So right now, just seeing how you're sitting, that's going to put tension on your, uh, on your quadriceps and it's going to create pain in this part of your legs and possibly in your hips. So ideally, you want to have the legs, the knees supported. So whether that means sitting in what's called Seiza style, like she's sitting right I here with the knees. F- and that's good for my knees. Okay, great. It's been great. better than the cushion. Okay, great. So sit like that with your knees folded underneath the stool. Because you want to have, so if my hips weren't this flexible and one knee was up like this, I would want to do two things. I would want to raise my, my sit bones up higher so that my hips were higher than my knees. Because you want your, this part of your leg, your, your thigh, you want it. You want the angle to be parallel to the ground or ideally a little bit down. So it's slanting down. That's one. Two, and you want the knee supported. So sometimes, like right now, I was sitting with my right foot on top. When I sit with my left leg on top, my left hip isn't as open as my right. I put a little pillow or a towel underneath my left hip, my left knee to raise it up. That's just the way my body's structured. My left hip isn't as open as my right, so I have to put something there. The other, the other, um, other things that are important to check in with, so it's very important to start to feel and get a sense of your, the alignment of your pelvis and to recognize that the pelvis can move um, in several planes. And one of the main ones is, is, is in this plane, um, I always forget the name of the sagittal and vertical and like, I can't remember the names, but uh, to, to see, you can rotate your pelvis this way. So like you're tucking your pelvis and the, and the small of your back gets curved, or you can rotate your pelvis this way, like you're sticking your butt out and your back arches. So play with that in your meditation until you find that, pl- that sweet spot in the middle where the muscles in the lower back can relax and lengthen. And then from there, the, the spine and the skeletal structure um, stacks in, in, in an alignment. But it starts there in the, in the pelvis and the sacrum and the lower back. Um, and if you want, anyone who wants to stay afterwards, I can show you an exercise that you can do that comes from Hannah Somatics that will teach you to, to, to relax and, and turn off the muscles in your low back so that you can start to get that sense of the alignment in the low back when you sit. Great, you're welcome. Yeah, sure. Um, quick. Qu- 
quick. Um, I just wanted to say that. Thank you, Jim. I just wanted to say that I was the culprit with the um, with the sense, and I so apologize for that. Oh, I haven't you. been here in a while, and um, I forget not to do that. My son has special needs, and I'm blessed to have somebody that watches him on Monday night so I can be here, and I oil him up before I come. And I also, it enhances my meditation, but I forget not to do it here, so I apologize for that. Well, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. So, <clears throat> as we end our evening, I just wanted to share one or two things about my own work and teaching. Um, I love teaching. I love sharing this stuff. It's, uh, it's just one of the things that brings me the most joy to, to practice and to share to, and explore together. Um, uh, I, do, I live in the East Bay, and I, I teach around this area uh, periodically. Um, so if you want to stay in touch and just hear about what I'm doing, I have an email list on a clipboard just around the corner there on the table where the hearing devices are. So you can print your email address. I, I only send out three or four emails a year. It's not a lot. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention is uh, um, an online course that I recently opened with a colleague of mine that's focused on bringing meditation practice into your daily life. It's called Next Step Dharma. Um, and I put out some, some cards uh, out on the tables, and I have some up here, it's nextstepdharma.org. Um, it's specifically designed for people when they come off of a meditation retreat. So if you've ever sat in a meditation retreat, even if it was six months ago, it, it would be particularly helpful. Um, but you don't have to have sat a retreat to take the course, because the focus is on how do we, how do we integrate you know, the practice that we're doing into our life. Um, so if you're interested in that, feel free to pick up a flyer or check it out. Um, there's a pretty wide sliding scale and a Donna-based option. So you know, regardless of your financial situation, it's, it's accessible and available. So, um, and, uh, and then there's some live uh, uh, Q&A sessions online. We do some uh, webinars where we have live, live questions every couple of weeks. So it's a way to also just continue um, practicing and, and learning together. Okay, so thanks so much again for your practice and your presence. Let's just sit together for a moment quietly as we end. <clears throat> so feeling the body sitting. tasting what it's like to be aware right now. And setting an intention to sustain that awareness one moment at a time. May we each have the courage, the strength, and the willingness to keep waking up, to keep being here, to keep feeling and breathing and working together to care for the life on this precious planet. <clears throat>